0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Trial and Tested podcast, brought to you by the Education Endowment Foundation and Evidence-Based Education. My name is Jamie Scott, and in this episode of the podcast, we're focusing on an EEF-funded evaluation of the Embedding Formative Assessment Programme. Embedding Formative Assessment is a professional development programme which aims to improve pupil outcomes by embedding the use of formative assessment strategies across a school. It was established by Siobhan Leahy and Dylan William in partnership with the Schools, Students and Teachers Network or SSAT. In this episode, we're going to hear from Corinne Settle from the SSAT about how the program is implemented. I'll be speaking to Emily Yeomans at the EEF about the evaluation findings and to Claire Taylor at Helsby High School about their experience. But first we speak to Dylan William who joined us via Skype from America. Hello, Professor Dylan William. Hello, Jamie. Dylan, if I do your introduction, I'm gonna end up using words like uh, hero or legend. So I think it's best that you introduce yourself and what you do.
1: I'm a professor of educational assessment. I'm now emeritus professor of educational assessment. Uh, I worked as a school teacher and then as a university lecturer, then as a professor, um, a university administrator. But I left University Life uh, eight years ago to focus full time on working with teachers around the world on improving classroom practice.
0: Well, thanks for joining us, Dylan. Um, I think a lot of people listening will be familiar with the term formative assessment, but I wonder how many of us share the same understanding. So to get us started, please, can you give us your definition of the term formative assessment? And could you try and bring that to life for us with a few examples?
1: I think the big idea of formative assessment, it is just simply that we find out what students learn before we try to do anything else. So 50 years ago, David Ausubel, an American psychologist, pointed out that most important single factor influencing learning is what the learner already knows. Ascertain this and teach accordingly. So the idea is that teaching should start where the student is, not where we would like them to be. And of course, as anybody who spent more than a microsecond in a classroom knows, students do not learn what we teach. So in other words, we need assessment to find out what our students did learn before we try to teach them anything else. Now, people sometimes call this just good teaching. And I think that's, that's fine. But what I'm trying to do is to draw attention to this as an assessment process. So typically, a teacher makes a decision about whether to go on or to repeat a point by asking a question of the class. And just listening to the confident students who have raised their hands. And I'm just saying that's not very good evidence. So if you're only hearing from the students who are confident and articulate, you can't really make decisions that meet the learning needs of the, the rest of the class. So what I'm really arguing is that we need to get teachers better evidence about what's happening in students' heads so they can make better decisions about what they do in their classrooms. And evidence is just really an assessment process. So all an assessment is, is a device for drawing conclusions. And the quality of the evidence determines what kinds of conclusions you can draw. So the really important point about formative assessment is it's simply using evidence to decide what to do next. And we can do that on a short time scale, minute by minute and day by day. We can do that on a longer time scale. For example, we discover that a student is falling behind by giving regular kinds of assessments of student progress. It doesn't really matter what the time scale is. The important point is we're collecting evidence to make decisions that help us better meet our student learning needs. And that's why I think it's right to call it assessment. We're highlighting the role of evidence in teachers' decision making. Thank you, Dylan. Now we're clear on our terms.
0: Please could you talk us through the case for formative assessment and its potential power in terms of improving teaching and learning? What's what's the evidence base for formative assessment?
1: Well, as I said before, The intuitive case comes from this idea that we should start from where the students are rather than where we'd like them to be. And that was made by David Azubel in 1968. Since then, a number of research projects have explored the power of this to improve achievement. In 1986, Lynn and Douglas Fuchs showed that in special educational classes, when teachers regularly found out where students were before trying to teach them anything, there was a substantial impact on student achievement. And over the last 30 or 40 years, the evidence base has increased pretty steadily, showing that when teachers pay attention to these processes, students learn more. But the research has been quite widely scattered. It hasn't been well synthesized or organized. Different people call these things different things. So somebody might call it responsive teaching. Somebody else might call it formative assessment. Somebody else might just call it good teaching. And so... What Paul Black and I did in 1998 was to cast a fairly wide net of all the studies that might be relevant. And we did a review of the research, which these days we'd probably describe as a configurative review. So we weren't so much concerned with working out what the effect size was. We were trying to get some sense of the shape of the field. What were the relevant studies? What were the relevant concepts that were being used? And so that review, I think, was helpful in collecting the evidence together showing how it all fitted into a single big idea, which is this idea of using evidence to adjust teaching to better meet student learning needs. So then strengthened by that idea, Paul Black and I, and with Christine and Harrison, Claire Lee and Bethan Marshall, worked with groups of teachers in Kent and in Oxfordshire. And we tried to put them into practice and we worked with these teachers, and over a year these teachers tried to implement these ideas in their classrooms, and we found a substantial impact on student achievement. Probably a a 50 to 70% increase in the rate of learning, uh, as measured by GCSE and A-level grades. So then we were pretty sure that when teachers do this, their students make more progress. The difficulty of course is, Paul Black and I can't work with every single teacher, How can we scale this up? So over the next few years, I worked with colleagues, particularly in the United States, uh, my partner, Siobhan Leahy and others, to try to develop what we call effective, scalable teacher professional development. The idea is we should send resources to people that would help them do this in their own schools. And we decided that there couldn't be any external facilitation required, because if there was, then it would make it unaffordable. And the other thing of course, is that whenever extra funds are required, that becomes very vulnerable to shifts in funding. So we decided to try and create a suite of materials that would allow any school to just pick up a box, open it up, and run really good professional development in their own schools. And the version we developed in the United States was called Keeping Learning on Track. When Siobhan and I returned to the UK in 2006, we produced a different version really focused on the UK needs, which we called Embedding Formative Assessment. And so that pack of materials, some videos of classroom practice, some PowerPoint presentations that staff can use, and some papers for monthly meetings where teachers could hold each other accountable have been very successful. They're in use in, I think, three quarters of the primary schools in Singapore. South Australia has adopted this as its statewide model of professional development. It's been translated into Swedish and is working very well in Sweden. So we had lots of positive reports, but we still didn't actually have any clear evidence that this was working in the way intended. People were saying nice things about it, but we didn't know that this was functioning in the way intended and raising student achievement. And that's why we were so heartened when the Educational Endowment Foundation funded a study conducted by the National Institute for Economic and Social Research to do a randomised controlled trial of the effectiveness of this pack. So we recruited about 140 schools, or sorry, we didn't, they did. They recruited 140 schools, randomly divided them to two groups, 17 each, all of whom wanted to participate in the project. Half of them were sent the materials, half of them were just given the cash equivalent, about £300. And then we just looked or they just looked at the results of the students in years 10 and 11 when they took their GCSEs two years after the experiment had started. And what we found or they found is that the rate of learning in the classrooms, in the schools where teachers have been given these materials and being encouraged to meet monthly and hold each other accountable was approximately 25 percent greater than in comparable schools. And so we know that the program wasn't implemented very faithfully in some schools, but what that randomized controlled trial done by the NIESR shows is that just giving teachers time to meet, to talk about practice, to talk about the improvements they plan to make in their classrooms, holding them accountable for making those changes, that can produce a significant impact in the improvement of their students at an extremely modest cost. The Educational Endowment Foundation's estimate is that this program costs roughly £1.20 per student per year. So now we have the theoretical evidence, we have research studies, and now we have this randomized control trial of an actual package or program that shows that when teachers pay attention to these processes, students learn more. Now, of course, what the randomized control trial showed was that this works for years 10 and 11, key stage four, as it's called in England. The question is, does it also work for younger children? And there, I think we don't have the same evidence, but it's worth noting that this work has been much more uh, faithfully implemented with younger children. So in Scotland, for example, almost all my work on embedding formative assessment has been with, with primary schools. And we've seen Some very positive results there. A recent HMI report about education in Glasgow showed that there was substantial improvements in student achievement that they associated with the use of these school-based teacher learning communities that we had launched through the Embedding Formative Assessment Programme. So I think the evidence is quite clear now that it seems to work for all age ranges. Uh, The reason that I think it's particularly important that the NIESR, trial focused on key stage four is because these are probably the hardest students to reach these are the hardest teachers to reach if you like because they're so focused on exam results and what we've shown is that if all you care about is boosting exam results you don't care about quality of learning or creating nice citizens if all you care about is boosting student achievement as measured by tests and exams then embedding formative assessment is your best bet
0: so there's no denying that there's a really strong case for formative assessment. Um, but how does it become embedded into professional practice? That feels like it's, it's the real challenge with any promising programme. How do we ensure that it's in, embedded in everyday behaviour? And can you talk us through some of the characteristics of that and, and how the programme has helped to embed the use of formative assessment?
1: I think one of the key developments... In our own thinking over the last 20 years has been to change the way we think about what professional development should be about. So most people think about professional development for teachers as a process of knowledge acquisition. Teachers don't know stuff and if they get told the stuff they don't know they'll somehow be better teachers and that can be quite effective for novice teachers. But what I've become convinced of over the last 20 years is that for all but the least experienced teachers The most effective professional development needs to be a process of habit change, not of knowledge acquisition. So right from the very beginning, our work on these school-based teacher learning communities was designed to help teachers change classroom habits, things that they'd learned through years of being a teacher and through years of being a student even earlier. So it was explicitly focused on habit change. We looked at the research on habit change and what we decided was the best way to do this was to have monthly meetings where each teacher makes a promise to the group. And then over the next month, they implement the, their promises and they come back a month later and talk to the group about what they promised and how it went. And teachers have told us that it was the fact that they promised their peers they were going to try something out that made them prioritize this over everything else that they had to do in their busy working lives. There's also a drip feed of new ideas. So at each meeting, teachers will get exposed to some new techniques of formative assessment. But the big idea is not that they expect, are expected to use these ideas. The really important starting point is first of all, the teachers choose what to work on. So it's okay if everybody in the group is working on something different. What works for art teachers doesn't work for PE teachers, doesn't work for math teachers. The second is they're expected to adapt them to fit their own classroom practice. Flexibility is an explicit part of the model. The third element is small steps. So we emphasize that it's fine for a teacher to work on one technique for six months, if that's what they need. Until a new technique in teaching becomes habit, then it's not really there yet. And if the teacher stops focusing on that, they'll stop doing it. So the idea is we allow teachers to take small steps so they can actually create these habits of of classroom practice, like wait time, like making statements rather than asking questions, like referring something to a different student for for a verdict or whatever. So these these kinds of natural, almost like instinctive reactions are the things that we think need to be developed in teacher's practice. And so we allow teachers to take small steps to make them change the, the, the model builds in accountability to the rest of the group. And of course, they also provide support. We actually see those last two support and accountability as two sides of the same coin that we sometimes call supportive accountability. And so this model of choice, flexibility, small steps, accountability, and support drove the design of these school-based teacher learning communities. And what we have found is that monthly meetings of 75 minutes duration is enough to transform practice. So just 1% of teachers' time, 75 minutes, once a month, where they meet together, make promises to each other, hold each other accountable, do peer observations in the meantime, and come back. That has helped teachers embed formative assessment into their classroom practice.
0: Thank you, Dylan. That is a brilliant introduction to the whole programme. And what I'm going to do now is turn to uh, colleagues at the SSAT and the EEF and to a school to find out what their experience of the project has been. But we'll come back to you at the end of the podcast, please, for your final words. But next, we're going to hear from Emily at the Education Endowment Foundation about the evaluation of the project. Hello, Emily.
2: Hi, Jamie.
0: Emily, you're the only person to make a second guest appearance on the Trial and Tested podcast. Well, I'm very,
2: I'm very privileged to do so, so uh, thank you for having me back.
0: You could be called, I suppose, as a regular guest in that sense, but for those who might not have caught your first appearance, can you please introduce yourself and what you do?
2: Yeah, I certainly can. Um, So I'm Emily Yeomans, and I'm Head of Programme Strategy at the Education Endowment
0: Foundation. Excellent. Emily, I just want to dive straight in, please, and ask you, why was the EEF interested in evaluating the Embedding Formative Assessment Project?
2: Yeah, of course. So I suppose there were really kind of two main reasons that we're kind of interested in um, assessing the product. So the first of those is that actually there's kind of a lot of existing evidence about the benefits of formative assessment and actually in fact um, formative assessment is the highest um, impact approach in our teaching and learning toolkit at I think plus eight months. The second reason was that actually we know that schools really want to prioritise this. However, we often hear from them that they find it really difficult to implement formative assessment. We therefore thought actually it would be great to fund a programme that helps them to do this. And we thought that embedding formative assessment would be a kind of really effective way um, to support schools to implement what could be a kind of high impact programme.
0: Thanks, Emily. Can you tell us about how the project was evaluated
2: yeah of course um, so the project was evaluated as a randomized control trial um, and it was evaluated in 140 schools so it was it was a large trial in common with all EF trials we uh, undertook what we call intention to treat analysis so this means that at the start of the project we randomized some schools to inter- intervention And some schools to control. And however much the intervention schools engage with embedding formative assessment, whether they do it in its entirety, don't complete it, or even adapt it slightly, those schools are still treated as intervention schools. um, And those schools are included in the final analysis. Um, And we think that's really important because actually it shows what is the impact of offering this program to schools. We know that in the real world um, schools will adapt to programmes and we really want to understand what is the likely impact of this programme if offered to schools, not just what is the impact if schools really engage and deliver the programme in its entirety.
0: That's really interesting, so you've got uh, a mix of schools in there, you mentioned 140 I think, so you've got you'll have some highly engaged, some sort of low low engaged and some that are in the middle and then as you say people people adapting it so the findings from all of those schools are included in the results and so that leads me to ask what were the findings?
2: Yeah that's correct so that's a really good description of intention to treat analysis Um, and actually for this trial we found a really positive result so we found the students who were in the embedding formative assessment schools Um, made the equivalent of two additional months' progress in their attainment eight GCSE score. Um, And we think this is a really promising result. We know that GCSEs are really hard to to shift the uh, attainments in because we know that all schools are trying their best for their their pupils, especially during their GCSE years. So we know that control schools are working really hard to get good GCSE scores. Um, So so we think it's great that
0: we've seen such a big impact on a um, GCSE outcome. So, Emily, why uh, why do we see a difference between the findings of the project that you've evaluated, the two months additional learning gain, a difference between that and the eight months learning gain that's reported in the Teaching and Learning Toolkit?
2: Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, So in the Teaching and Learning Toolkit, that figure is um, composed of lots and lots of studies all looking at formative assessments. Some of those studies might have a kind of smaller sample size than our trial. Some of them might be looking at outcomes which are more aligned to the intervention. Whereas our study is a very large scale, randomised controlled trial, with actually an outcome which is quite hard to shift. So we would expect to see um, lower results.
0: Thanks very much for that, Emily. We're going to go now and speak to Corinne at the SSAT to find out about how the project is implemented. <music> Hi, Corin. Could you tell us a bit about your role in the embedding formative assessment project?
3: I've been very lucky to be involved in this project since the beginning. So I was part of the team that wrote the original bid to the EEF, uh, went through the interview process and put the programme of support together for schools to complete the project. Um, So I've been there since the inception really. Um, I've been part of the team that's directly supported schools um, and developed the support package um, to help them and support them through the project.
0: Can you... Um, Talk us through what's in this resource pack that we heard about from Dylan, um, I think, which was created by by Dylan and Siobhan Leahy, and how this pack is used. Do you just send it to a school and they do the rest?
3: So within the EFA pack is all of the materials that you need to run the teacher learning communities over two years. So it includes all of the materials, the templates. It also provides films um, from other schools and also elements of um, videos from Dylan himself um, talking about the programme and how to effectively implement it. When the resource was first produced, what we did was schools could all Order the program and they would just get it delivered to them. And then, of course, what they do with it is entirely up to them. I think what we found over the last 10 years is that the pack has been purchased across the country and across the world. But what's happened is, in many cases, is that the program's been cherry picked from. There are some superb resources and brilliant strategies and techniques in there. And I think we found that schools have just picked up those individual resources and used them individually rather than using the whole process. So one of the purposes of the EEF funding was to test the full process, to test the impact of teachers going through the process of teacher learning communities, formulating action plans at the end of each session. And as I know Dylan would put it, it's about acting their way into a new way of thinking, um, rather than thinking their way into a new way of acting. So it's about the process in the pack that's really, really important. So what we've done is we've now looked at how we can support schools to effectively implement the pack as intended. The program's based upon five key elements. The first being choice. At the end of each teacher learning community, teachers have a choice about what technique they're going to apply to their classroom. They then have flexibility to adapt that teaching technique for what works for them in their context, in their subject with their students. The third element is about small steps. We're not expecting teachers to make dramatic changes overnight. This is about them trialling and refining techniques. We know small steps leads to big change in the classroom and therefore big impact on the students. Then comes accountability. As a group, teachers are accountable to the teacher learning community. They write an action plan at the end of the session, which they hand in. And then they're expected to go away and put those actions in place. And a key part of that process is peer observation. So teachers working together to give each other feedback on what is effective in the classroom. And that's really important. It's about validation of practice and celebration of what works as well, but also about refining techniques and those professional conversations of, well, if I did this, would it work even better?
0: And Corinne, what are some of the typical challenges that schools might face in implementing the the resources and and following the project?
3: I think the key challenge that schools face is to implement the pack as intended and to maintain the focus on what matters, what matters, what happens in the classroom. So it's about following the process in the pack. It's about knowing where you can make changes. For example, every session has a starter activity and you can change and adapt that starter activity to your group to, of course, just changing some of the language in the programme. For example, the word peer observation for some schools and for some teachers is an element of dread. And of course, it's about peer support. So I think the key challenge is about schools staying on target, committing to two years of teacher learning communities, because we know everything works somewhere, but nothing works everywhere. So the key challenge is for school leaders to keep this on the plates of very, very busy teachers. We know that in the time that a teacher lead, leaves a teacher learning community meeting to the time they get back to their classroom, that over plate, things drop off. So it's the leadership's role to really support and drive this process for teachers to keep it front and centre to make it the most important thing that's happening in that school over two years. So one of the things that we've developed at SSAT is a support package, deep leadership support for schools. We give in-school training to train the teacher learning community leaders to be confident in the delivery of this programme but also to support schools in thinking strategically about how you implement the programme. When do you bring in your stakeholders? How do you engage students in the programme? How do you keep this front and centre for teachers? But then how do you celebrate the brilliant practice that's taking place in schools? One of the things that Dylan often talks about is the knowing doing gap. The teachers know what formative assessment is, but the big question is, are they doing it effectively? One of the things we identified in the project was that there's also a doing knowing gap, that there are brilliant teachers out there doing incredible practice. Teacher learning communities give them the time and space and to reflect on what they do that works, unpick that And then be able to have the confidence to share that with other colleagues to in turn improve their practice.
0: Thanks, Corinne. That leads us nicely on to the next part of the conversation, because we're going to go now and speak to Claire Taylor at Helsby High School to hear firsthand about their experience in the project. Hi, Claire. Please, could you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your school?
4: Hi, um, my name's Claire Taylor, and I was the EF lead um, in our school, which is Helsby High School. It's um, an 11 to 18 school in um, Cheshire, um, and we have about 1,500 pupils. Um, I am the head of English and also a member of the extended leadership team, um, which is why I got involved um, in the project.
0: Thank you, Claire. Can you... Tell us why you got involved in the EFA project and talk a little bit about the practicalities of running uh, the project in your school.
4: Yeah, we got involved because we were really interested in formative assessment anyway and felt that because of lots of different initiatives that come into school, it had sort of fallen onto a back burner and we wanted to bring it to the fore. Um, and when I first heard about the project and, and looked into it, I was really interested in the fact it was really focused on staff and their development um, and how they could improve their, their practice in the classroom and encourage the learning of the students um, and I thought that would be really really useful and something that the, the staff would value. That turned out to be the case because the staff really enjoyed um, the time that they got to discuss their practice. So the practicalities of of running the project were making sure that we'd found time so that we could meet once a month in the teaching and learning communities and and obviously that means that some things we had to say we hadn't got time to do um, and that's a difficult decision but we felt that giving staff the time to reflect would ensure that there was more impact um, on students, their learning, their outcomes. And also for staff to feel that there was investment in in them and their practice um, in the classroom. So we chose teaching and learning sort of community leaders, not based on people that had um, positions of responsibility in school, but actually practicing classroom teachers who really focused on what was going on in the classroom so that it really was staff feeding up to us and and those members in the senior leadership team about what was important and what was working well in the classroom. We were given the resource pack which was absolutely invaluable because it gave a starting point for staff to be thinking about their practice. They really liked the resources, particularly resources around learning logs. And questioning, particularly liked um, the work on on questioning, found that really supportive um, of their practice. What was also useful in the pack was the agenda because it gave a clear focus to each group's discussion. Um, And the groups were cross-curricular, which proved to be really interesting because it actually gave staff an opportunity to discuss different ways of, of practice within the classroom and how that might work in different subject areas. So um, the discussions were really fruitful. Um, and one of the things that was was really positive was that actually those discussions didn't just take place in the sessions. You could also drop into the staff room and, and hear staff talking about what they've been doing. And we sort of supported those sessions by creating Open Door Weeks. Uh, And the reason for the Open Door Weeks was to give the opportunity for staff to do peer observations um, and go in and actually see how those strategies were working in a classroom, how the students were engaging, the feedback they were getting. And it also provided feedback for the members of staff who were refining their practice, you know, so they could almost like a coaching sort of element to that. um, And that was really fruitful. And we've continued with those Open Door Weeks
0: um, post the project. Claire, could you tell us a little bit more about what the teachers made of it all and what you think the impact has been?
4: I would say the beauty of this project is the fact that there was so much staff engagement. When you initially introduce something, a new initiative within school, staff, some staff can be a little bit sceptical. But the fact that this project focused on what they were doing in the classroom, they really, really valued it and they valued the opportunity to choose the element of their practice that they felt they needed to work on to um, improve on their practice within the classroom. Um, so that worked, that was really good, the engagement. The staff really, really enjoyed having the resources to get them started, and then they would branch off, and staff would come up to me in this in the staff room and say, Oh, I've created this resource. So what we then did was we created a bank of resources that all staff could access. We also created almost like a directory of expertise. So if somebody had really sort of done some really good work on hinge questions, for instance, that other staff could go to them and ask for some advice on how to to write those questions and how to use them in the classroom um, and would actually then choose to go and see them. The impact upon staff was that they felt that they were improving their practice um, and that came back in in staff voice. So we, we carried out surveys, um, et cetera, and they would feed that back. Now, obviously people are going to ask, what the, was there a tangible you know, impact. And yes, externally, as far as data is concerned, our P8 score has gone up steadily since. So from 2016, it went up into 2017, and then also went up in in 2018 again. So actually, there are tangible results as far as outcomes were concerned for students, which is positive. But I would say the most important thing was the engagement between students and staff in the lessons. So when we would do a lesson visit, or a lesson drop-in, to actually see that formative assessment practice in action where you know students misunderstandings were being spotted and they were getting the support that they needed and also I think a shift from staff doing all the work from feedback on feedback and shifting it to students actually working on the feedback that they got reflecting upon it and improving and therefore improving their
0: learning. That sounds that sounds amazing Claire thank you for sharing your experience. To wrap up this episode we're going to go back now to Dylan William for his closing comments
1: one pushback that i get quite often is how do we know this is not just this year's innovation and next year there will be something else well two things i think first of all is the logical case a focus on formative assessment is asking teachers to think about the relationship between two things. What did I do as a teacher? and What did my students learn? As long as teachers are reflecting on that process, the relationship between what you did as a teacher and what did your students learn, you will always be able to advance your practice. That's why assessment is the bridge between teaching and learning. It is only through assessment that we can find out whether what we did as teachers resulted in the learning we intended. That's the logical case. We now have the empirical case that just giving teachers 75 minutes once a month to focus on improving their practice produces substantial increases in student achievement, even if you measure that achievement with standard written examinations. The effect sizes that we've got suggest that embedding formative assessment is something like 5,000 times more effective cost effective than class size reduction. It's one 2,500th the cost and it's twice the impact on student achievement. That's why I'm confident now in recommending that classroom formative assessment should be the priority for every teacher and every school.
0: Well, there you go. Thank you, Dylan, and thank you to all of our guests in this episode, Emily Yeomans at the EEF, Corin Settle at the SSAT and Claire Taylor at Helsby High School. And thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please rate it. This makes it more visible and allows others to discover it more easily. And if you're listening via iTunes, Spotify or an Android app, you can subscribe to Trial and Tested and get notified when the next episode comes out. Thank you.